everyone, I am Catalina and this is the Changemakers Podcast, a show exploring the sustainable development goals and highlighting thinkers and initiatives that are working towards achieving the US 2030 agenda. Today, my guest is Giulia Marzetti, an engineer that works as a project manager for a portfolio of sustainable transport and energy projects. Julia is the driving persona of the European Footprint, a multimedia project raising awareness about the SDGs through storytelling. She is also a local leader for the Women at EIT initiative, where she supports women in science and entrepreneurship. Currently, Julia is a project officer at the European Commission, and the viewpoints she is expressing in this interview are not the one of her employer. In today's episode, we reflect on the Sustainable Development Goal 11, Sustainable Cities and Communities, Sustainable Urban Development, and Lessons After COVID and Community Resilience. So, hi, Julian. Welcome to the Changemakers podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you here and reflect with you on the challenges and the changes needed to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals, and specifically SDG 11, Sustainable Cities and Communities. So, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Catalina. It's a real pleasure and honor. And as you mentioned in your introduction, whatever I'm going to talk about, it's based on my personal views and they don't necessarily reflect the views of my employer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's start this discussion or, or this reflection with the question of what actually makes a city sustainable in your view. That's a million dollar question. We have to come to the realization that cities are a complex ecosystem which intertwine water, energy, food, and also waste systems. And nowadays, we don't only have to deal with cities, but also with megacities with 10 million plus inhabitants like London, Mexico City, Shanghai, and many, many more. So firstly, when I think about sustainable cities, I think about low carbon and low ecological footprint cities. So when we think about infrastructures, that means reducing the use of Portland cement, using modular construction systems, sustainable construction materials, which could be, for example, locally sourced food or recycled materials, and biodynamic design. Also, embedded circular economy, thinking about waste as a resource. So whether this is to use grey water and wastewaters as a heat source, as is happening in some parts of Denmark, or to use our urban waste as resource, as is done in Sweden, for example. And when it comes to housing, we can think about passive buildings, which maximize inhabitants' comfort, minimizing the use of resources. And of course, I'm not diving deep into details of other SDGs, which I'll leave for other people to explore, but sustainable cities mean to have access to clean and affordable energies, which is SDG 7, and clean water and sanitation, which is SDG 6. And last but not least, when it comes to sustainable cities, we also need to consider the human-centered design, connected and sustainable communities, in particular when it comes to access to transportation, food system, and healthcare system, which are now more important than ever we're seen with the COVID-19 crisis. Awesome. Thank you so much for this introduction to the topic. And I'm really glad that lastly you mentioned the topic about community because I think, at least personally, when I reflect about sustainable cities, I'm automatically thinking about people because ultimately it is about people and kind of creating that infrastructure around people, you know, so they can thrive, but also being always in balance with nature and with the environment. So in terms of community, what do you think makes a community resilient, especially within this context of a sustainable city? 
I think community resilience is, as we've seen, is put to task during this extreme environment we are living in as a pandemic in the last few months. So when we talk about community resilience, of course, we need to think about the health dimension of these communities, meaning the physical, the mental, environmental health and well-being as a centerpiece of resilient communities. And also, as you mentioned, I think resilient communities are connected communities. So communities where there is social cohesion between the members of the communities, but also communities which are engaged and connected with their cities, their neighborhoods, and the nature that surrounds the city. And exactly like having this connection with the urban environment means that a community is more adaptable and more agile to the weather or climate adversities that we are sadly keep witnesses nowadays with hurricanes as it happens like, in some part of the world or also with earthquakes and many other natural disasters. That also means having community which are resilient to um, the scarcity of resources and challenging situations as we are gonna keep witnessing going towards you know, the end of the century. And I think a good example of community resilience are community initiatives as for example, rooftop or urban gardens or also mini forests are happening for example in the Netherlands or in the UK, which are nurturing resilient communities, but also give an example of community which are connected to each other and community which are connected to their own cities, as you rightly mentioned at the beginning of the question. Mm-hmm. Now that you actually mentioned the pandemic, because it's such a huge crisis, right, happening globally, and it definitely disrupted many, many areas of our daily life and how we interact with, with other people. So I was just wondering, kind of what are your thoughts on the current pandemic and how do you think this COVID-19 situation will influence how we think about our communities and how we think about our cities in the future. So basically what kind of lessons do you think we should (laughs) take away as we emerge out of this crisis? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think from, you know, what I've witnessed during the months of the pandemic and now when, when restrictions start lifting, it's the total breakdown of our transport system, meaning that during our, you know, the lockdown months, we have witnessed that transport systems are, were not really used that much because most of us were working at home or studying at home, etc. And now people, of course, most of them do not trust using public transport system because they could be seen as a, a vehicle of infection as well. And therefore, there is, I've witnessed in several cities now, there is this massive use of the automobile, which wasn't the case before in some of the cities I'm taking as an example, for example, London or Brussels. So when I think about a change that could come about in urban development is moving from thinking about cities being built around our cars, but city being built more locally, city where there is not that much need of moving about in the city to go to work, for example, or to to go to school, but having a kind of local neighborhood economy and lifestyle where I could work from home most of the time, I'm not saying 100%, and I have the opportunity to, you know, just find everything I need, all the services that I need that could be like doing my groceries, like going to essential health or well-being services nearby me. And and I 
wouldn't need to move about with long distance public transport or using my cars. Mm -hmm. That's actually quite interesting that you mentioned this because I think now within this pandemic, we start to realize, well, first of all, that we don't need many things that we felt we depended on before, for example, (laughs) commuting, you know, or shopping or all these things. So I think in a way it also changes our perception of how we can do things differently. I mean, this working from home is actually quite interesting because many people, office workers, of course, who I guess privileged (laughs) to work in front of a computer can afford to work from home. So yeah, quite interesting what you mentioned about the neighborhood, the local community within the bigger city. So going a little bit away from this topic, but I guess still in this area of exploring the challenges of sustainable cities, what do you think are the most complex maybe problems when it comes to sustainable urban development globally maybe, but also in your local context? Yeah, when I think about this, I think that one of the biggest challenges is the integrated approach to sustainable cities and sustainable development and their overall ecological footprint. So think about how to power, feed and move these cities or even mega cities as we have talked about earlier on. So one of the challenges is how to think about these ecosystem services, for example, air quality, aquatic system, pollination as well, forestry or green corridors that we may have within the cities or surrounding the cities as well, and the sustainable and long-term land use, as well as all the challenges that other challenges that need to be addressed. And you could encompass all of these challenges with a theory of constraint. So how to keep producing or better healthing our CO2 emissions while the population and city's density keeps growing. And that's a very, very difficult question to answer. An example of this complexity, as you mentioned, is the transport system. So while in the previous century, in the 20th century, our transportation grid was mainly designed around the automobile, in our modern cities in this century, our urban planning must embrace an integrated approach to transportation and mostly public transportation. And also we have to take into account our human behavior and how human adapt when modeling our response to these challenges. So transportation is an excellent example because it's very hard to wire the human to change habits and especially when it comes to transportation habits. And another challenge that maybe overlooks all of these challenges which I've mentioned its investment and how and where does the investment come from to build sustainable cities. And finally, especially when I think about in a more local context within Europe, a further challenge that we see, especially in capital cities, it's space constraint. So how to think about building sustainable cities when we don't have that much space and how to think about building housing, which is also another challenge when we don't have enough space to build. So there are quite a few challenges here. Yeah, absolutely. And what are your thoughts actually on smart cities? I've been here in Asia for for a while now and (laughs) smart cities, I mean, I think it's a quite trendy concept everywhere, but I've noticed it's flourishing here lately. And basically, it's mainly around usage of technology for urban development and and community building. But here in Asia specifically, I notice a lot of, for example, gated communities that are being built. There's a lot of kind of focus and work around city surveillance and stuff like that. And all of that under the umbrella of smart city. So I'm just wondering, 
is a smart city for you a sustainable city as well or can it be <laughs> that's an excellent question i think it can be definitely it really depends on how you use it and how you use the technology to the advantage of a city indeed in terms of monitoring you know the city's sustainable KPIs and in terms of uh, monitoring also, for example, the transportation patterns is definitely something that can aid a city to be sustainable. But then I think that smart cities pose a lot more questions on accessibility of data and what that data can leverage that it's very important in terms of data ethics and maybe we wouldn't realize that and therefore why I'm quite I'm quite you know careful about saying that smart cities are indeed the way forward. They are the way forward for some topics, that's for sure. But then for others there are a lot more questions that we have to think about before actually creating of smart cities. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. It's quite a interesting but also controversial topic because there are so many things basically to consider because of the complexity of a city. So moving away from the city itself towards the community aspect of it. So when it comes to urban planning, I mean, of course, there are many systems within this bigger city system and humans play an important role within it when it comes to housing, for example, access to transportation, access to data, or maybe access to technology if we talk about smart cities. And when if we talk about access, it's always the question of equality because not everyone obviously has access, for example, to affordable housing or to, yeah, basically to maybe more sustainable solutions within the city. So I was wondering how do you think or how, in your opinion, can we fight inequality in our communities from an urban planning perspective? The first thing that comes into my mind is by incorporating diversity and inclusion in urban planning. So think about women, children, vulnerable people, and people with reduced mobility or disability when we design our city. So for example, thinking about people with visual impairments and how to make cities more easily navigable for them. But also the right of women and vulnerable and elderly people to walk and move about in the city while feeling safe. And we have to think about well-lit streets and place pavements and surface which aid walkability of the city. As a female in engineering and a STEM advocate, I believe that it's important to capture that diversity, not only when thinking about urban planning, usually this is done by a stakeholder consultation, but directly having different perspective in the workforce. And having those urban planners, engineers, city officers, and everyone which is interested in urban planning coming from different backgrounds and minorities. This is something that, as I've seen moving and working in different countries, still has to be improved upon, this diversity and inclusion and diversity of background. So as you mentioned, not only people with different educational background, but also with a very different upbringing that could really fight this inequality from the inside out. And another very important point, which I already mentioned, is the affordability of the housing and the transport system in a city. Because too often we see that people who don't have a standard median income for the specific city or country, they are segregated from the central space of the city, but they're segregated in spaces outside the city. And that's where inequality comes about as well. I also think that introducing mixed-use land and green spaces in cities, so 
coming back to the idea of having a more local neighborhood in cities, whereas having like just um, you know residential area on one side and then like office areas in another, but instead having more mixed-use land can foster social cohesion, integration, and ultimately fighting inequality. And on this note, I think that London has set an example with council housing and council estates in pretty much every single postcode of the city, even notoriously the wealthier and more expensive neighborhoods. And that could be an example of how to fight you know, some inequality when it comes to urban planning. Awesome. I've heard also about a good example in, in Germany, I think in Berlin, of some sort of law. I forgot what exactly it is, but basically that the landlord cannot increase the, the, prices, the rent, the, the rent prices. prices. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're, they, they're freeze, they freeze for a certain amount of yeah, time, which I also think it's... A, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's great that you mentioned because these are exactly those measures that we need to keep fighting inequality and just avoid the gentrification of some space of the city, whereas before these spaces were very affordable for everyone to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think are the changes needed in the way we build and manage our urban spaces? As we mentioned before, also like the population, the number of people is growing every year more and more people are moving to the cities our cities become overpopulated and we also mentioned the the problem of space so what do you think are the things that we should think of or maybe the changes needed in the way we approach urban development to kind of consider all of this different aspects and also ensure that everyone has access to different things but also you know just lives in a good healthy clean environment Yeah, a change I would like to see to come about is the use of system thinking and this holistic point of view, which connects all the different systems, as you mentioned, using innovative processes when it comes to managing our urban space. So, for example, think about energy presumers, which are citizens which both produce and consume energy with their renewable energy system, which could be solar panel, while using an integrated microgrid system, which feeds this electricity back into the national grid. This is an opportunity that is happening in some cities, thanks to some regulations, but yet has not reached that tipping point to spread. So really thinking, really using that system thinking approach and managing to connect all the different systems while thinking about all the different systems when we create, plan our cities is probably the best way forward. And in general, as a change, we need to think about human-centered design. So a, a city that which is connect around human, having the inhabitants as its centerpiece, while interconnecting the urban spaces with the, the nature and, of course, its inhabitants. And I think that many cities use the COVID-19 as an opportunity to undergo a profound change. We have seen it in Paris, Brussels, Milan, or Berlin as well, which reclaim street space from cars to give space to bicycle and pedestrians. And these are changes that is happening. And I'm not sure if you, if you have the chance to go to Paris or see any Paris video footage at the moment, but basically pretty much all the taxi lanes have been converted into bicycle lanes. And I've never seen that many bicycles in Paris and it almost seemed like Amsterdam. And this too, as an example, that change can happen when exactly you put the human and the citizen at the center of this change. And also another change that I hope to see is to 
not only put circular economy at the center of the city, but as the city of Amsterdam is piloting the donut economy at the center of the city. So really thinking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and how we can achieve them within our city. And it's something I've touched upon already, but having a more participatory approach in urban planning is also a change that has to come about. Consultation, of course, do happen, but often in a voluntary or representative capacity. And not all the, the representation or voices get the opportunity to, to be heard and have their saying when it comes to the building and managing of the urban spaces. Awesome. I'm really happy that you mentioned this last part. I was just about to ask about more this participatory approach where it's not just, let's say, the local city government who makes certain decisions, but the citizens are more involved in these decisions made about, for instance, you know, this thing about more bicycle lanes, things like that. So the citizens really have a say in designing the spaces that they live in or work in. Moving more towards you, what is the change that you would like to contribute to in your lifetime? Thank you for this question. <laughs> I really like it. So I see cities as melting pots of SDGs, targets and objectives. So I'm sure you know that over 65% of the SDG targets are relevant to cities. Therefore, I see my work to have the biggest impact in making cities more sustainable. And in particular, with my work, I like to witness and originate a paradigm shift in terms of transportation therefore contributing to the SDGs 11.2, Affordable and Sustainable Transport System. And what I find very interesting about this, as you probably touched upon already, is that transportation is such a personal choice as well, that it touched upon the behavioral science and our behavioral emotions as well. And it's very difficult to encompass all these complex challenges when it comes to a transport system and create a transport grid which is efficient and sustainable within a city. And on a more grassroots level, environmental education and sustainability awareness is something that I keep advocating for with several projects I'm running. For example, the European Footprint or Talking Climate Projects. And especially the European Footprint project is a multimedia project which uses storytelling to raise awareness of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and share young Europeans' viewpoints on sustainable development while inspiring others and other young people as well to make a difference. And that's why I'm extremely thankful for having the chance to have this conversation with you today. Awesome. And final question to also, so I, I like to end my interviews on a more call to action way. So after the listeners, you know, listen to our conversation, they have a concrete action that they maybe can start doing today in order to maybe act more sustainably in their day-to-day -day life. So what do you think can the listeners of this podcast start doing today with relation to SDGs, maybe with relation to sustainable cities to sort of advance the UN sustainability agenda? First, I think that after this month of confinement, as you have rightly mentioned, everyone did reflect a bit on our habits and you know our systems as well. So whatever the learning that they have had from this moment, it'd be very good if they could put them into practice. So for me, one learning, as you probably mentioned already, is that I don't really need to move about them much in the city. So I've never had a car, to be honest, but this is because I just earlier on, I made this commitment of just making you know my transportation needs as as basic as possible and use public transport all over and now where when you know public transport maybe it's a bit controversial to use i just walk everywhere and i think that's something quite simple that 
people can start thinking about or applying as well. And secondly, as I mentioned about participatory approaches, sometimes it's very hard, even nowadays with the internet, but it's very hard to get to know when things are happening. So when consultations are happening, for example, in your local council, and when, for example, you can have the opportunity to have your say. But I think if you connect with your larger community, as we mentioned before, just creating your a resilient community, and you start being interested in what's happening in your neighborhood, then you can really make your voice heard in your community and then like also at a stakeholder level. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julia, for this amazing interview, for sharing your thoughts and insights and for this very practical call to action to our listeners. I'm also a big fan of public transport. I don't think I'll own a car in my <laughs> life just because, I mean, it's also healthy, right, for you to walk and bike. Yeah, and of also cars car. are very expensive. People do not realize that. But, you know, maintaining a car is very expensive so. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and for Thank you so much, being Catalina. such an inspiration. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This was the Changemakers podcast with Giulia Martetti, a changemaker working towards sustainable transport and sustainable energy. If you like this episode, share it within your community and connect with me on Instagram at change.makers.stories and on LinkedIn. You can find all these relevant links in this episode's description. If you are curious about the sustainable development goals and initiatives that are working towards the US 2030 agenda, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Anchor and don't miss the upcoming episodes. <laughs>